0: Three months ago, uh, we started Hebrews, and uh, when I started Hebrews, I said, Hebrews is is broken out into really two sections, chapter one through chapter 10. Uh, Hebrews is 13 chapters long, and the first part of Hebrews is really about theology, uh, about helping the the author of Hebrews, the pastor who's writing to this community, uh, is wanting them to understand God, understand Jesus and who he is and what he's done and and what he's doing. Uh, The second half of Hebrews, which is really... Uh, the back half of chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13. Uh, After our Easter series, we're going to jump back into part two. And really part two is about how do we apply everything that we just learned in part one? Like what should our lives look like in light of everything that we just heard and and learned in part one? Uh, If you were here three months ago, uh, I shared with you that my heart for all of us as we go through was simply this. To know Jesus rightly so that our lives would reflect the reality and the grandeur of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing. That was my heart when we started this journey three months ago is that all of us would know Jesus rightly. And what we know of Jesus would be having a profound impact on our lives uh, and how we live. Like what, what Jesus did, what Jesus is doing would be shaping every aspect of our lives. Uh, Now, I I shared this again months ago. We all have ideas about God. We all have ideas about Jesus. Whether this is your first time to church in a long time, if not ever, or you've been coming to church for a long time, we all have ideas. We come to the conversation predisposed uh, with thoughts, ideas. And the challenge has been all along, is what we believe? uh, Is it right? Is it true? Uh, And the challenge has been, might there be things that we need to unlearn Uh, As we go so that we can learn rightly, hey, this is who Jesus really is. This is what Jesus has done, and this is what he's doing. Uh, For me, for especially over probably the last 15 to 20 years, has been a long lesson of unlearning what I had learned so that I could learn rightly. Uh, If you would have asked me just years back, Michael, what's something that you had to unlearn? Well, I think one of the biggest things that I had to unlearn was that you cannot relate to God through formulas, uh, you cannot have a relationship with God. You cannot connect with God. You cannot relate with him through formulas that you make up. So my formulas were, Michael, if you do this and you do some of this and you do a little bit more of this, God's going to look at you. That is going to equal, man, he's awesome. I am I'm so proud of him. I love him so much because he's doing this, he's doing this, he's doing this. But I also had another formula. If I do this and don't do that and then do that again, God's gonna look at me shaking his head in just great disappointment. Um, and God really had to teach me to unlearn. Michael, you cannot relate with me through a formula. You relate with me through my son and that's it. Um, teaching Hebrews uh, for the past three months, I've never gone through Hebrews before. And you know, I've studied, I mean, I've read through Hebrews, but I've never actually really studied in depth Hebrews. And one of the things that I love about Hebrews is the author. Uh, His heart for his community that he is writing this letter to is that they would just be simply a people, men and women, who would walk with God. That's what he wanted for them. He wanted them to learn Jesus, who he was, what he had done, and what he is doing so that they would be able to walk with God in such a way that they would be experiencing his presence in all things at at all times. Now, as I've been thinking about this over the last three months, if that's his heart, he wants to help them walk with God, uh, I wanted to ask you the question, uh, and it might sound very simple, uh, but do you know how to walk with God? Do you today, could you articulate, this is how you walk with God? Imagine if someone came up to you and said, hey, the creator of all things, the universe, the sustainer of all things, how do you actually walk with him? what would you say? How would you answer that question? How does one actually walk with God? Now, as you're thinking about how you would actually answer that question, let me throw another question on for you. Uh, Would how you answer that question, would it be more about doing something or more about what's already been done? To be honest with you if you would have interviewed me a few years ago and said michael how do you walk with god i would have been like well prayer that's that's a good thing read your bible go to church serve give help i would have given you a list of things do this do this do this do this and that equals a walk with god now i'm not saying praying and reading your bible is bad of course it's not that's helpful but that's how i would have answered the question how do you walk with god if you were to interview me today Michael, how do you walk with God, the creator of the world, sustainer of all things? How would you walk with him? I'd honestly just simply say Jesus. That's it. I would just say Jesus. Okay, Michael, that's a total Sunday school answer. It is, but you know what? It's the right one. How do you walk with God? Jesus? That's it. If you were to interview the men and women in the first century who were actually reading through and hearing, Uh, this letter of Hebrews, how do you walk with God? They would have said the law, observe the law, pay attention to the law, be obedient to the law, the temple, something with the temple. Maybe they would have said Moses, he was a great hero, spiritual father, patriarch. Some would say, well, the sacrificial system. But what the author wanted them to see is that Jesus is not only greater than all of those things, but Jesus alone is what it means to walk with God. Now, we're going to finish part one today, and I have a big question. It's the question that I'm asking and hopefully answering today is, how does Jesus actually enable us to walk with God? If Jesus is the answer of what it means to walk with God, well, how does Jesus enable us to walk with God? Before I answer the big one, let me ask Another question that, depending on how you even answer this, is going to depend on how the rest of this message goes. And that question for you would would be this. Do you really want to walk with God? Do you really want to actually walk with God? Do you want to have a relationship with the creator, sustainer, of just all things, and say, I want to walk with God? Like, for me, my heart for my, I just, I want to be, I want to walk with God, that's it, I'm not overly concerned with what gets accomplished and all that gets done, I just, I would love at the end of it all, the end of my story, for my wife and my kids to be able to say, he walked with God, That that was it, our dad, he was just, he was a guy who, who walked with God, for 42 years of my life, uh, I was more walking in a direction and asking God to bless it <laughs> rather than actually walking in the direction that God wanted me to go. In a great uh, book by Larry Crabb uh, called Finding God, uh, he said this, if I am to walk with God, one thing is immediately clear, we must go in the same direction. If I'm going to walk with God, one thing is immediately clear, we must go in the same direction, and God doesn't negotiate. He invites me to join him and he will not go with me on side trips. There's a difference of walking in a direction and saying, God, I would love for you to bless. I would love for you to be present. I would love for you to take care of. I would love for you to provide in the direction that I've chosen to go. And there is a completely different of saying, God, if that's the direction you want me to go, I will walk with you. And I wanted to be very honest and very clear that walking with God does not mean that your life will be any easier. If you halfway pay attention to the Old Testament or the New Testament, you will find those who walked with God, their lives were really hard. There was persecutions, there was trials, there were storms. Many of their lives ended in death because the decision they made was to walk with God. And so I don't want to give you any false ideas that, hey, if I walk with God, then everything is going to be great. But what I will tell you is, if you make the decision to walk with God and walk in the direction that God wants you to go with the life he's invited you to live with him, you will walk through storms, you will walk through trials, you will walk through persecutions, you will walk through any hardship so differently because you will walk as one who does not walk alone. And that's what makes the difference. Walking with God does not mean it's easier, but it does mean I don't walk as one who's actually walking uh, alone. Hebrews, the author has been seeking to help this first century community understand rightly who Jesus is so that they might rightly walk with God. Someone this uh, past or two weeks ago asked me, Michael, what's your heart for Genesis? And before they even really finished the question, I said, walking with God. That's it yeah, we can have some big mission and vision statements. And at the end of the day, I just, I would, I want to walk with God. And I want you as a community, I want to walk with God together. And if you're here and you're like, I don't even know God, my heart for you is that you could come to know him so you could walk with him. That's our, that's our heart as a church is that we would learn and grow how to walk with God in all things at all times. Uh, So as we consider Hebrews 10, we're going to find the answer of how does Jesus enable us to walk with God? What has he done to make this a reality? Uh, Number one is simply this. I'm going to give you three. Uh, Number one, Jesus alone removes all our guilt. How does Jesus enable me to walk with God? Well, Jesus alone, only Jesus, he removes all of our guilt. Have you ever said this, heard this, or thought this? When I get my life together, then I will begin walking with God can't tell you how many times I've heard that over the years of, Michael, I I really do. I want to get back involved in God. I want to come back to that place where I once was, but I need to get some things taken care of first. I need to fix some things. And what that generally translates to is, Michael, I have so much guilt. And until I can figure out or find a way to deal with all of this stuff that's happening inside Walking with God is just not possible because I can't come to God with all of these things. But the beauty of what Jesus has done is that he actually takes away all of your guilt. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 uh, verse 1 through 4 says this, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under the system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. If you have a car, uh, you're going to have to fix your car. And if you've ever had your car breaks down, it's it's a pain taking it to the mechanic and getting it fixed, but it's just the reality of having a car. But imagine if you took your car in to get it fixed, and then the next week, the same issue that you had that brought your car into the mechanic, imagine if it came back. And you're like, what's up with that? I just fixed this. But you take it back to the mechanic and say hey the same thing's happening but imagine if he fixed it and then the next week the same issue happened and the next week the same issue happened the same next over and over and over at some point you'd be like you know what my mechanic is awful i just either need a new mechanic or i need a new car at some point you would stop and say you know what this just isn't working it's fixing it, but then it gets broken again. It's fixing it, but it's not really fixing it. And in Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 4, that's what the author is saying. It, it wasn't working. It, it wasn't helping. So if you ask the people back in the first century, how do you walk with God? They would have said, well, walking with God prior to Jesus, it was about observing the law. And when you fell short of observing the law or obeying the law, you would bring a sacrifice to make atonement for your sins. But as scripture says, it it didn't work because it didn't perfectly cleanse them. It still had guilty consciences. And so again and again, after sin, more sacrifice, more sin, more sacrifice, over and over and over again. Ever feel guilty for something? Right, all of us have. Feel guilty for something you said, feel guilty for something you did, maybe something you saw, somewhere you went, something you thought. Uh, I'm not saying this is the first time I ever felt guilty, but it's the first like, powerful memory I have of feeling guilty was when I was 11 years old. I was uh, dog-sitting uh, for a neighbor friend, and as a kid, we weren't allowed to play with guns. Like Even making that motion, that would, you'd put your hand down real quick uh, by force. Um, <laughs> And the house where I was dog sitting, they had a BB gun. And I'd never really seen a BB gun up close. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a gun. And so I picked up the gun and I was like, wow, I figured out how it works. You put some BBs in, pump it. And so I went outside and I was going to say, maybe I should try to shoot something. I'm looking for something to shoot. And there was a squirrel. And I was 11 years old and I was like, I will never hit this. This thing is like 15, 20 feet away from me. I've never hit it so i I pointed at it and little 11 year old shot this little bb gun and hit the squirrel and this little squirrel falls over and i'm by myself and i can't even describe the guilt that i was i just killed someone's squirrel son or daughter (laughs) but then it got worse because i went over to the squirrel and he was twitching and i was like oh my gosh he's still not dead and This is before the days of YouTube of before you could YouTube, like, how do you kill a twitching squirrel? And so I'm looking over, I'm like, there's a shovel, and I'm like, I can't hit this with a shovel, that would just be, and so, I mean, I am, like, it was bad. So I took the gun, pumped it up as much as I could, and put two in the back of his head. And I can't tell you how scarred I was with the guilt I felt for killing that squirrel. I know this sounds ridiculous but i did not pick up a gun uh i think the first time i picked up a gun after that was when i was like 35. i was so riddled with guilt for what i had done i didn't know what to do with that guilt and it just wrecked me that was my first memory experience of feeling guilt and as i've thought about guilt over the years and my responses to it i wanted to share with you two things of what guilt often does to people Number one would be this. Guilt, it leads us to do dumb things. Leads us to do dumb things, very dumb things. Adam and Eve, in the moment that they sinned and rebelled against God, the, the idea that they had, they were filled with guilt. They had never felt this emotion, this feeling before, and so what do they do? Hey, let's hide. Let's see if we can hide from the God who just made everything and made us. Let's, let's hide behind a tree and just pray like crazy to the God we're praying to, that he won't see us. And now we're all naked and we know it, so let's get some leaves and somehow tie them together so maybe he won't see us. Guilt leads you to do dumb things. Judas, did you ever hear of a man named Judas? The man who betrayed Jesus? As soon as he realized what he had done, scripture says he was so filled with guilt. And so he ran back to the priest and said, I've, I've committed this horrific thing. Take the money back. I don't want it. And you would think that the priest would be like, yes, you have. Yes, you have. And the priest respond, well, hey, what is that to us? His blood is on your hands. So not only did his guilt, he didn't know what to do with it, he ran to a tree and he hung himself. He ran to the wrong tree. Guilt makes us do really, really dumb things. Things. A second observation I'd make about guilt and what we do is guilt has a way of numbing, if not hardening, your heart. Where you just get to the point, and you're like, I just don't even care anymore. I'm so tired of feeling guilty for what I've done and what I say I would never do again, but only go back and do it again. Guilt has a way of just numbing our hearts. Here's what I wrote in my journal this week about guilt. When we have guilt, And don't know what to do with that guilt. We begin doing things in order to get rid of that guilt. But the reality is that things we often do only lead to further guilt. Thus, piling guilt upon guilt. And I can look back at my life and every time I felt guilty, I would try to get rid of that guilt. But then I would do things that would make me feel even more guilty. And so the question of, is there a solution to this? is there a solution where we can actually be free of the guilt we have? And the author of Hebrews says, yeah, there is. Because what Jesus did was effective for you. It was effective for all time. It says in chapter 10, verse 5 through 7, that is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or the other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it's written about me in the scriptures. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus came to accomplish for us what we could not accomplish on our own, remove our guilt. Only Jesus alone can remove our guilt. And what prevents you and I from walking with God in the way that God wants us to walk with him is guilt. But Jesus said, everything I did was enough for you to live without guilt. Sadly, and I bless you, I don't know everyone's church background and experience, but sadly, guilt is used as a powerful weapon to manipulate people and to get people to do what they want them to do. Do you ever hear the phrase guilt trip? Yeah, who likes being put on a guilt trip? You're going to make me feel guilty about saying yes or no to this, and so we unfortunately see guilt being used as a weapon against people. You see that? Wives use guilt against their husbands. Husbands use guilt against their, their wives. Parents can use guilt with their children. You see it in the workplace. Bosses will make their employees feel guilty. It's such a powerful weapon that's, that's used. But God says, you kidding me? That's not my weapon. I don't want you to have any guilt I want you to walk with me freely and lightly where you have no guilt. So I sent my son Jesus to do for you what you could never, ever do on your own. I want you to write this down God wants you to walk with him guilt free. Now, I know even hearing that and even saying that, it's like, gosh, Michael, that is just not possible that I I could ever walk this life guilt free but God wants you to walk with him guilt-free. We're gonna sin, okay? You're gonna sin today at some point, you'll sin tomorrow, you'll sin this week. And the picture that I would love for you to have in your mind, because when, when, we, when we mess up, when we sin, when we do what we wanna do and we do the very opposite of what God wants us to do, rather than beginning to think through a list of, gosh, what, what do I need to do? I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this to fix it so I don't feel so guilty. The one picture that I want you to have the next time you sin is not thinking of a list of things you have to do, but the picture that I want you to have is this, Jesus sitting down. I want you to picture Jesus sitting down. Let me read verse 12 of hebrews chapter 10 but our high priest offered himself to god as a single sacrifice for sins good for all time then he sat down why did he sit down because he was done there was nothing left for him to do there was nothing left for you to do so the next time you feel guilty for whatever sin rebellion whatever thing you have done i want you to picture jesus sitting on his throne Sitting down. Not you scrambling around trying to fix it, and make yourself feel better about yourself by maybe reading your Bible a little bit longer, praying a little bit extra harder. The picture that I want you to have is of Jesus sitting down. Tullian Chavingen in his book, One Way Love, said this The internal voice that says, Do this and live, gets drowned out by the external voice that says, It's finished. That internal voice that says, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this to fix it. The external voice of Jesus says, It's finished. I'm sitting. You're cleansed perfectly. And I just want you to know that if if you have put your faith and trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone, you're guilt free. You are guilt free. He he paid it, He, he did everything. There's nothing left to be done. You've been cleansed absolutely perfectly so if you're walking today with guilt from past or present sins i want to invite you to bring that guilt and those sins to jesus so that you can receive from him perfect cleansing a soul that is free from guilt how does jesus enable us to walk with god he takes away our guilt the second thing i'll share with you is this jesus alone makes us holy Jesus alone makes us holy. The beauty of what Jesus did was he not only took something from us, our sins and our guilt, but Jesus is doing something in us. He didn't just take something from us. He's actually doing something in us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 and 14 says this, for God's will was for us to be made holy. How? By the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. Once for all time, for by Verse 14, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Let me ask you a question. If you're a Christian, uh, you've made the decision to trust Christ, how does God view you right now? Right, right now, how is God looking upon you at this very moment? And if, when you heard that question, if in your mind you started running through the list of things that you've Did last night, did this morning, did this past week. And you're thinking of, gosh, God sees that, He sees that, He's considering that. You need to unlearn that. Because when, if you're a Christian, when God sees you, I want you to know this He sees His Son in you. And He says, Holy. He looks at you and says, I've declared you holy. Because of what my son has done, what you have accepted, I see you and I have declared you as holy. Now, I realize that we don't think of ourselves like that. We think of God probably shaking his head and like, ah, you did that again. Why do you keep messing up? Why do you keep doing everything you said you'd never do again? But God, when he looks at you, he says, you're holy. He sees you as holy. Why? Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Verse 10, God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all time. If you're still writing anything down, here's a truth I want you to catch. There is nothing you could do to make yourself appear more holy in God's eyes than you currently are. There is nothing that you could do that would... Ever make yourself appear more holy in God's eyes than you currently are? You can't read your Bible enough. You can't pray even harder. You can't give. You can't serve. You can't do all of these great things that will somehow make you feel more holy. Or God will be like, wow, you are so much more holy than yesterday. There's nothing that you could possibly do to make yourself appear more holy in God's eyes than you currently are right now. But what I love about what God is doing as we walk with Him is growing us to be as we are seen by him he is growing us to be as we are seen by him he sees us as holy but yet we do unholy things and so he is growing in us to be men and women living as we are seen by him this process this theological word is called sanctification to be set apart or to be made holy uh, C.S. Lewis wrote some great books called "The Chronicles of Narnia," and there are seven books, and one of the books uh, is called "The Voyage of the Dawn Treader." If you ever read the book or seen the movie, it was out a few years ago. There's this young kid named Eustace, and he was a punk. He was like the annoying kid in the movie, always complaining about something, had issue with everyone and everything. And Eustace, when he enters into Narnia, uh, he, falls in, he comes across all of this gold, and his heart just lusts and craves after this gold. Uh, and Eustace, in Narnia, because he was lusting after this gold, he actually became a dragon, because we all know dragons love gold. And in the movie, what was really so challenging to me uh, was Eustace. His exterior began to reflect his interior condition. And I remember watching that for the first time thinking, oh my goodness, if my exterior would reflect my interior, what would I look like? And towards the end of the movie, this boy Eustace, who is now a dragon, is desperately trying to become a little boy again. And on this really powerful scene towards the end of the movie, Eustace, uh, as the dragon, uh, is just struggling and fighting to shake the dragon's skin off. And then enters Aslan. This really powerful scene, Aslan, the Christ figure in the movie, walks onto the beach and he begins clawing his gigantic paw. And every time his paw would just claw on the sand, there was like skin and this grotesque, started, grotesque thing started falling off this dragon. And as he clawed harder and harder and harder, eventually the boy Eustace appeared. And his friends come up to Eustace at the end and they asked him uh, this question. What was it like when Aslan changed you back? And Eustace said, no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't do it myself. And then he came towards me and it sort of hurt but it was a good pain, like when you pull a thorn from your foot. And um, I get emotional about this movie. You should see me watching with my kids. My kids are like, Dad, seriously, you need help. <laughs> and because um, I feel like him. I feel like Eustace. I would love to say I'm Prince Caspian or some of the other characters that are just like the heroes. But I feel like Eustace. And for so long, I've been trying to change myself and... Fix myself and do all these things that I would appear not like the dragon anymore. And I love how Eustace just how he said, What was it like? And he said, No matter how hard I tried, I just I couldn't do it myself. This is a beauty of the gospel of what Jesus has done. Because God wants you to walk with him. And so God is helping you to become as he sees you and he sees you as absolutely holy sin turns us into dragons as it were our exterior can get pretty rough and for certain there are some sins that become such a part of us that it takes a tearing or a ripping but i wanted you to hear this the spirit is never looking to hurt us rather the spirit of god is enabling us to become more and more like jesus why does holiness matter to god Like, why does your sanctification, why does your holiness, why does it matter to God? Because this is a few verses on it, but the New Testament, Old Testament is really concerned and tells us again, and be holy. So why does it matter to God? I wrote it in my journal like this. Your holiness matters because people who don't know God matter to God. And God wants those people who don't know him to know him. And the primary way people will come to know him is when they see others who look like him. See, God is really concerned, not just about you, but the people around you and your family and your neighborhood and your communities and your places of work, whether that's in the business world, in the the universities, wherever it is. God really wants other people around you to catch a glimpse of him. And the way that people will catch a glimpse of him is when they see a reflection of him in you. Do you ever be around someone who's like really angry? Like they're just an angry, bitter person. And every time you're around them, they're just filled with so much rage. You ever walk away from a person like that and you're like, man, I I so want to get to know God now. (laughs) After having been in that angry person's presence, I just, I can't wait to learn more about God. Do you ever been around someone who just complains all the time? They're a critic of everything and they're complaining and whining about absolutely everything. You ever walk from a person like that and say, I so want to get to know God. After listening to you complain, and whine and criticize anyone and everything, I really am inspired and compelled to know God. Do you know how it works? It's when people see hope, when they see generosity, when they see care and concern and forgiveness and kindness, when they see that in you, that compels people around you to say, how is it that there's so much care and concern and compassion and kindness and generosity so much grace, so much hope in you. Well, that's what God's like, and God is stirring in me to reflect who he is. So why does your holiness matter? Your holiness, because people matter to God, and he wants you to use you to help other people see a reflection of him. Before I finish, I'm going to give you uh, one more very quick thought. I wanted to ask a question. And this is a personal question for us as a church. And the question is, will Genesis be an environment where you can grow? Will Genesis be a community where sanctification can actually be your reality? Or will Genesis just be a place where you feel like, gosh, i got to put my mask on every time I walk in. i got to make myself feel better or appear better because I don't want people to really know where I'm at. I don't want them to see the dragon that I know is still there. So will Genesis be a place where it's just all fake? And you've got a pretense. Will Genesis be a place where you can say, I can grow there? God is sanctifying me. He's helping me to be like he sees me. Will Genesis be a place where that can actually happen? I hope so. I hope so. I would love to stand here before you and say, absolutely, yes, yes, a hundred times. But the only way that I can answer that question is just say, I hope so because that's not dependent on me, that's dependent on all of us. Would we create an environment and a culture where people can grow? Where if God is working things out in them, that they can grow. Ray Ortland, who is a great pastor in the Nashville area, um, said this, gospel plus safety plus time. It's what everyone needs. A lot of gospel, a lot of safety, and a lot of time gospel, good news that Jesus loves sinners, wave upon wave of grace and truth, safety, a non-accusing environment, no finger pointing, no embarrassing anyone, no manipulation, no oppression, just respect, sympathy, understanding, a place where sinners can confess and unburden their souls, time, no pressure, no deadlines on growth, Yes, urgency, but not hurry because no one changes quickly. Space for people to rethink their lives at a deep level. God has been patient, so time will we be patient with people as well. Ray Ortland goes on and says, this is what our churches must be. Gentle environments of gospel plus safety plus time. It's where we're finally free to grow. So would that happen here? Would you give people around you gospel? I just want you to know Jesus loves you. Would you point people to the wave and wave and wave upon wave of grace that God's given you? Would you help create an environment where it's safe? I don't stand as one pointing their finger about what you have done or haven't done. But would you help create and foster a culture within this community that it's safe to be where you are, trusting that God is continuing to work out his plan in your life. And would you give people time? I know sometimes uh, you get so frustrated. Why, don't that, why does that person just get it? But you forget to remind yourself that you just got it recently too. It took you years and years to get to where you are. So would you give the people around you the same time that God's given you to grow would you give it to those people as well? Here's the challenge. If there's anything to you in you that says, I'd love to be part of a community like that, then my challenge is, would you be willing to help cultivate that, giving those around you gospel, safety, and time? Last thing I want to finish with, and we're going to do this last point very quickly, is Jesus alone frees us to enjoy God. Jesus alone frees us to enjoy God. You ever been around someone who is really historical and they remember your history and every time you get around that person, it's just a constant reminder of how you've messed up. It's a constant reminder of how you've fallen short. It's a constant reminder of everything you've done wrong. It's a constant reminder that they're disappointed in you because you didn't meet their expectations. Do you love being around people like that? Like is there anything in you that says i enjoy walking with that person i enjoy being around that person now i think all of us would say no i have no desire whatsoever to be around that person at any point in time can you imagine if god was like that can you imagine if walking with god looked like god always saying you screwed up again you fell short again you said you never do that again but yet you did it again Can you imagine if life with God, walking with God, looked like God constantly reminding you of how badly you continue to mess up? Would there be anyone here that says, I really enjoy walking with that God. I love it. I love always God pointing his finger at me. But what Jesus has done, he alone frees us to enjoy God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. And then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. I want you to hear verse 17. He says, I will never again remember their sins. I know this might be like mind-blowing, but God doesn't remember all the things that you've ever done. Why? Because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus, and he sees Jesus sitting All of your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven and forgotten. I know that you have probably not forgotten them, but I wanted you to know today that God has. Because when he looks at you, he sees a cleansed soul. He sees his son Jesus and what Jesus has done for you. This is the good news of what Jesus has done is that we can actually enjoy walking with God because God does not remember our sins. He only remembers what Jesus did for us really wanted you to catch that. Because if you believe that God remembers everything you've ever done wrong, you're going to have a hard time cultivating a walk with God where you actually enjoy it. If you can learn, and this might take unlearning, but if you can learn that God does not remember your sins because he remembers his son paying for all of those sins, past, present, and future, Jesus will free you to enjoy walking with God. Where there is forgiveness, there is no need for further works to be done. Jesus' sacrifice has enabled us to just enjoy God. John Piper, in a great book called When I Don't Desire God, said this, I was made to know and enjoy God. The full enjoyment of God is my ultimate home. God says to you, I just I want you to walk with me and enjoy walking with me. That is home. What is home? Enjoying God, enjoying walking with God. Uh, In a moment, we're going to sing a song. And uh, the song is just simply entitled, Come to Me. And the opening lines say this, Weary, burdened wanderer, there is rest for thee at the feet of Jesus, in his love so free. And then the chorus goes on to say, There is freedom, taste and see. Hear the call, come to me. Run into his arms of grace, your burden carried, he will take. Hebrews 1 through 10 has been instructing us how to walk with him. And as we close out part one of Hebrews, I wanted you to know that Jesus is what it means to walk with God. And Jesus enables, he alone takes away all our guilt, he alone is who's making us holy. And he alone is who frees us to enjoy him.